0: be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today from the Grave Tales Melbourne book, Madam Weagle's Grave with No Inhabitants.
1: Madam Weigel's paper patterns dressed the women of Australia for nine decades, but in the large cemetery plot she bought for three, there are no bodies. This is the story of Madam Weagle's life and death. And a grave in Brighton Cemetery where no one is buried. Wow.
0: I know. It's a big grave too. Do you remember it?
1: I do remember it. On a corner, wasn't it? And it's got a st- little statue thing in the middle yeah. of a big covering.
0: That's it. <laughs> a really
1: technical description <laughs> of
0: it. Yeah, that'll help me find it. Off you go. <laughs> it's beautiful, Brighton Cemetery in Melbourne. And this is a really notable grave because it's spread over three plots and it's a memorial for the Weagle family. Yeah. Johanna and Oscar and a third plot, but there's no one in it.
1: Okay. So is there a way of working out why there's no one in it?
0: Well, glad you asked. <laughs> but first you need to understand who Madame Weagle was. Well, maybe because you've never been on a sewing machine, but <laughs> but I don't remember Madame Weagle's patterns. I remember ones like McCall's, yep. Butterick's, Vogue, Simplicity, when I was a younger girl, you know, doing the old home economics at school. But they were big. They were very big.
1: They were huge in the bush as well. I can just vaguely recall seeing patterns that my grandmother had. Yeah. It was the way they did things then.
0: I know. Well, that's right. And my my grandmother, Dulcie may she rest in peace was a magnificent seamstress and clothes are so cheap to buy now but in those days you made them for economy purposes and uh, grandma she could make anything I can remember when I had my formal I had this Barbie doll and no I wasn't still playing with Barbies then (laughs) just for the record but she had this beautiful lilac ball gown and I always loved it and grandma just looked at the doll and made the dress for me she was a brilliant seamstress and many of that generation were.
1: So for those who mightn't be aware of how this works the pattern is something that you what you cut out the pattern and then put the material on top of it or something yeah
0: gosh i never thought people might not know that but yes you go in and you look at these fantastic books with all the models or or illustrated people wearing these fantastic gowns and you know they can be the latest designs from paris and new york or whatnot and you you look at the mccall book or the butterick book or the madame weagle book and you would then buy the pattern. You'd buy your fabric, whatever you choose, you know, whatever your economy would allow you. Yep. You go home. You lay the paper pattern out on top of it, pin it down, and you cut that pattern. And the interesting thing was, that one of the newspapers said of Madame Weagle's patterns that an important point is that all instructions for cutting out are observed with the strictest economy. So, in other words, there wasn't big lots of fabric left over.
1: And I see with the prices like eleven pence, and <laughs> sixpence halfpenny, and three and a penny. It must have been reasonably economic as well. Yeah,
0: well, I guess so. They don't mean anything to me, but I assume that they
1: were cheap. They were amounts of money.
0: <laughs> I know. That. I just don't know what they quite do in today's money. But having said that, yeah, it, it's an economical way to do it. And stylish. You know, you could have the stylish fashions. But before we go into all that, I should probably tell you who Madame Weigel
1: was. Okay.
0: Madame Wiegel was five foot two, blonde, blue eyed lady from Prussia. But of course, Prussia doesn't exist now, so we know it as Germany.
1: Okay, so when are we talking? We're
0: talking 1847. So go back into the 19th century. 1847, she was born, she was one of five children. Her childhood years, it would have been recession, revolution, reform, you know, very turbulent times in history. But she was a very advanced young lady, and I assume that came probably from her own parents. She was a feminist of the 1860s, 1870s. There's this lovely quote where she said, If a girl has another talent than cooking, I see no reason why she should not develop it in preference to house and kitchen work, which can be learned when necessary. (laughs) At age 25, and we'll skip straight to her being of an age we're interested in. Yep. She sailed to the United States of America in 1872 on board the ship Hamburg. In New York, she met a kindred spirit, a man she fell in love with. It was August Lewis William Oscar Robert Carl Weigel, a man not short of a name. <laughs> we'll call him Oscar. And he was from Brunswick, which is a similar area, a Prussian province of Hanover and Saxony. Yep. So Oscar was an engineer. He was three years her senior. So she was 29 and he was 32 when they married.
1: How did they end up in Australia? Yeah, they
0: came to Melbourne for a honeymoon from New York and never went home. Oh. So I think they liked it. Yeah. And it took some time for them to arrive because on those days you sailed. They were on the Mysore and they arrived in 1877. And the interesting thing was that, you know, Mrs Weagle. She was then, Joanna, was an attractive young woman and she was a fashionista. So she watched the fashions. She saw the fashions of the ladies in New York and wherever she travelled with her husband and she'd make those dresses herself. She was very, very clever. So she started to draw attention and she said women would ask her where she got a dress or could she help her make one or could she make them a pattern. And So she said she started making the patterns and they became popular people started wanting them more and more. And, of course, her and Oscar thought, well, there's an opportunity because he's a bright man.
1: There's a whole market out there, isn't there, of what we call the bush in inverted commas, you know, the rural Australia.
0: Absolutely. In rural Australia, ladies didn't have the shopping centres to go to or, you know, the latest fashion to access, but they still wanted to look very nice for their husbands and their friends and so forth. Mm. So there was a market out there for these patterns. Recognising this niche and that they could, you know, make a business of this, they established it. It was 1877 and they got the tissue paper and the printing machines for paper patterns and they established offices in Melbourne and Sydney and agencies throughout Australia and New Zealand. Madame Weigel's patterns started to grow. were well, taken off. They began by hiring premises in Lennox Street, Richmond and that's how the fashion business began. Okay. So beautiful modern clothing could be reproduced cost-effectively by the ladies on the land and in the city.
1: Well, and also the people who lived in small towns. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the bush in Victoria and I can remember the... Patterns being around then.
0: Yes. Did you look stylish Did you uh,
1: no, in Hayworth as a child? I think I escaped <laughs> <laughs> Escaped the, having to actually wear them. But.
0: I'd like you to say at this point that there's a lovely Weagles pattern for a gentleman's dressing gown. I that saw I was, that. <laughs> <laughs> which is most smashing.
1: Yes. All you need is a cigar. And a
0: <laughs> it was like Clark Gable with a dressing gown on. If you me. get our book and have a look at that lovely image. And, of course, children's clothing and really stylish ladies' clothing all through the era because this is the 1870s. And Madame Weigel went on for nine decades. So her clothing, you know, went to tennis dresses and comfortable shifts. And it really did change with the times. It was amazing when you look at her patterns, how they did change. It's a testimony to our fashion over the century.
1: The other thing, too, that I remember about patterns and being a kid in the bush was that a lot of people got work out of it. There were numbers of ladies in in the town who you'd go to with your pattern and say can you do this for me and they would
0: yeah and the interesting thing about madame weagle and as we said this before that she was a very modern woman is that she employed widows and spinsters as well women who may not have easily have found work or industry or been able to make a dollar or were reliant on, on family whatever she gave them some independence because yeah. they started working for her and agents and, and they included men too men agents who went around the country selling the patterns you know they'd come to you your family had a little country store yep they'd probably be an agent who'd Come there and go, would you like to stock them? Although I don't know whether you stock patterns or whether it was a different store that did that. I can't
1: remember, I don't think we did.
0: Probably the fabric shop, there would would be one, I imagine, who would purchase whichever patterns they wanted for their store. So there were agents all over Australia they created work for. And as you said, the dressmakers.
1: I seem to recall too that there were books in certain shops where you could go in and have a look at mm. the book and pick a pattern out of that yeah, and then buy it over the counter.
0: You can, you still can if you go down to your local Spotlight. Just plug for Spotlight there, they have got books <laughs> so you can sit there and pick out your pattern. But in 1880, that might not have been the case then, but they launched Weagle's Journal of Fashion, which is really quite ahead of its time. It was a monthly fashion magazine. I imagine, you know, the ladies must have absolutely loved getting that. It was the first fashion magazine to be designed, published and printed in Australia. Again, another feather to her cap. It was more than fashion talk though. It included hints for the wife on housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so important. <laughs> Serialized reading, and of course, Mrs. Weagle's much desired fashion insights and spreads, because she traveled a bit with Oscar as well, yeah. with his workers and engineers. So she would come back and go in New York, they're wearing, or in Paris this summer, they're wearing, or whatever. So, you know, women would love that, of course, as you can imagine. A newspaper claimed that Weagle's Journal of Fashion deserved a place in every household among colonial publications, as it contained Appropriate descriptions of the latest French and English fashion adopted to colonial requirements. Uh Because with our heat and dust, I suspect it would have to be adapted. And it also said, And the patents which are obtainable at low cost, enabling ladies residing at a distance from town to prepare costumes of the most tasteful and becoming description. <laughs> but the designs were groundbreaking. For example, there was an innovative riding skirt because, we you know, women had to ride side-settler and you had to put your skirts all around you to be modest, but she created, I guess it was almost like...
1: Like jodhpurs.
0: Yeah, it was trousers stitched into the waistline of the dress so that you actually had your legs covered in these trousers and then you could spread your skirts quite wow. easily, but you didn't have any risk of, you know, displaying leg Outrageous <laughs> where you're riding your horses. In the decades to follow, the design was adapted into a version of clots. Mm. She was very, very practical as well. She used to knitting and crocheting patterns as well. The Australian themed teapot cozy pattern. I'm sure that was very popular. Would be. Yes. And instructions for cutting out with the strictest economy observed. That really means
1: you use all the material properly, doesn't it?
0: Exactly. You're not paying for strips of material you're not using.
1: So what about their personal lives, if you like? How did they get on here in Australia, uh, having come from overseas and starting up this business which was going so well?
0: Yeah, it would have been quite a contrast to their earlier lives, but they lived well. In 1890, they built a residence called Drusilla, and it was a two-storey house with 26 rooms at the foot of Mount Massinan, down yeah. in that beautiful Picnic and Hanging Rock area. And it had a substantial garden, which Joanna is said to have planted them, this magnificent oak tree that's still there today, I believe, Also, okay. they say, but a house burnt to the ground 13 years later. They moved to South Melbourne after that, and they became citizens of Australia in 1893 and were very generous. They loved travelling, and Joanna claims she was the first woman and niece on the French Riviera to hold a motor driving licence and drive in 1901. Wow. But... Tragedy struck in 1915, Oscar was then aged 70 and he died from a disease related to the kidneys and they were overseas at the time in Los Angeles so poor Johanna returned home alone with his ashes. She was 68 then and she lived another 25 years. She travelled extensively in that time, she involved herself in the business. And the last 12 years of her life was spent residing at the Oriental Hotel in Collins Street, Melbourne, with her companion, Sarah Nielsen. I don't know if that hotel's still there.
1: Uh, I'm not sure now. I can remember it as a kid. Did you? Yeah, yeah. it was a big place.
0: And living in a hotel for the last 12 years of her life. She passed away of heart failure on the 10th of January 1940. Then she was cremated at Springvale Crematorium the next day. Before I tell you about the grave, I must mention that she had lots of legacies, she didn't have children. I don't know whether it's because she didn't marry until she was 29, but they didn't have children. And in Oscar's memory, she established the Oscar Weigel Charitable Trust with a £20,000 investment, a lot in those early 1900s, and that was to provide exhibitions for engineering students. Okay. Mm. And the estate, what was left in the end, because she was a very wealthy woman, was left and divided amongst her employees, Yeah. which was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> she also left a couple of legacies for five hospitals, which benefited from her generosity.
1: So, what's the story with the empty graves? Yeah, was yeah.
0: Isn't that strange? And it's a huge grave. So there's three plots purchased there, and ever the feminist, Johanna engaged the services of a sculptress by the name of Margaret Baskerville, yep. described as Victoria's first professional woman sculptor, and she carved a bust of Oscar, which was mounted on top of the pedestal. And it's rather large. We saw that there. Yeah. It's quite impressive. You'll see it in our books, or just go and Google online. It features there today still, now, the thing is, we don't have any record of Oscar's ashes when she brought them home actually being put into that grave or interred there, and there's no record of Joanna's ashes going in there either, and there is no other bodies buried in there, nor is there anyone taking up the third plot as yeah. such. So the grave is actually in the Presbyterian section L, grave numbers 9, 10, and 11, so have a wander there if you're in Melbourne and have a look in Brighton Cemetery. It's a big grave. You can't miss it. Most impressive. There's a local historian by the name of Shirley Joy, and it was Shirley who did the hard work and paid the money to find out this sort of information. She discovered that no bodies or ashes were buried in the graves, which is really odd. So Shirley thought it's most likely Johanna brought Oscar's ashes back to Australia where they could be interred once this bust was done and erected sometime after 1917. However, there's no record of that ever happening Mm. or hers being interred either. It's a very odd situation. it. It is indeed, but it's a very big grave. In a way, having enhanced the lives of so many, Johanna died as she lived, quietly, privately, with little of herself on show. Adieu, madame.
1: If you've enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the Follow Us button. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook, music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well.